What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we speak to the man in charge of the NFL sponsorship and consumer products business, NFL chief media and business officer, Brian Rolap, on the evolving sports media landscape. You know, the reality is we live in a world where Netflix has no commercials and, and there's six-second commercials on YouTube. It's just a different, different world, and you're going to see that, and I think you're seeing that evolve significantly. That's coming up on the show, but first, let's look at the top stories, the business stories of the week, and let's start with San Francisco, and now the Giants used to be AT&T Park. Used to be a lot of things. Yeah, it used to be a lot of things. Now it's something Petco. new. What is no, yeah, Petco to, was San was San Pac Diego. Bell. Pac Bell. Pac Bell. Yeah, Pac Bell. Yeah, I, I was there for Pac Bell. Yeah, when he when in when Barry Bonds knocked uh, two in the drink. Yeah, yeah. Were you in a kayak? Uh, no, I I was in the stands. Like wow, I'm sorry, I, I can't could swim. I could see you out in McCovey Cove kayaking, getting no, get trying to get the ball. That'd be great. That uh, was cool, man. I, that I, would, I Evan, it. you ever watch a game from McCovey Cove? No, that seems like something you should do. All right, in a kayak. Anyway, so now it's Oracle. We're talking two hundred million dollars. It's it's a lot of money, and I, you just wonder. They've got the name recognition. Oracle, obviously, they were with the Warriors and Oracle Arena. Warriors are moving downtown to Chase Center, so Oracle looking to keep it in the area, replacing AT and T. You got to wonder where the return on investment is. This can't just be putting your name on it because they have global name recognition now. What else are they getting? And that's what we're going to hope to find out. I'm going to be hopefully talking to the CEO, and we'll find out. What he's got to say about the return on that investment? Sure. Since they've been on the Warriors Stadium, they—I mean—they obviously there's something. They're well versed in what a naming rights deal in the Bay Area gets you, and they were willing to open up the checkbook in a big way to do it. Um, and I, but we should say that they already have a relationship with the Giants, mm -hmm. so they they know the team, they know the ballpark, they know what they can do. So now, you assume they can drill down into that. San Francisco ROI. is in their backyard. I would imagine the city is also probably their most important city if yeah. you look at their bottom line. Um, also, I'm. I'm sure a part of this goes back to what we've talked about before with the changing media landscape, right? The the ability to reach consumers easily through TV ads, which was kind of a given for the past 25 years, is slowly evaporating. And as people look for some kind of consistency or permanency with their advertising, I think it, it's, it sounds like stadiums and arenas are, are becoming more and more enticing. Back in vote. Because, they were yeah, in, they were out, exactly. now they're in again. Now I think they're back in because it's some kind of permanency for your ad. But when, by the way, when is Larry Ellison going to buy a team? Hmm. He could have had. He, he, has lost a team. The, he lost the he has Warriors an Cup like, team. Uh, a major sports professor. I mean, he <laughs> lost the Warriors for like I was like I think it was like thirty million bucks. He was outbid. Like Larry Ellison didn't raise it. Like boof, that that was a goof. Hmm. Should have had it. Moving right along. Speaking of the NBA, they have a deal with Twitter. Yeah, were we speaking of the NBA? Well, kind of by the Warriors. You mean? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure. That's why we were thinking about the NBA there. Well, but they're part of the NBA. Anyway. <laughs> well, again, it's from, from the Consumer Electronics Show, right. leave it to Jack Dorsey and, and Adam Silver to get together. Great panel. Great panel. <laughs> yeah. Great panel. You know, we should, we, we should invite Jack to our sports business lunch. Mm, there you go. Remind me of that. Um, but 
Twitter is going to show, in essence, portions of a game live broadcast from a certain player's perspective. So you will be able to vote as to who, which player you want them to highlight and watch the game from that perspective. This is the kind of thing that the NBA does so well. They're willing to experiment. They know a, a lot of their fans more than the NFL, we should say, are younger, watching on these kind of devices, watching on these platforms. And why not try it? See what sticks. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different type of way to consume a, a, a live sports event, right? There's no sound. You're not going to get any of the announcers. You're only getting the second half. You're at the mercy of what the masses decide is the one player they want to follow. I, I don't think this is going to be great watching if you want to sit down and watch a basketball game. But if you want to watch a basketball game kind of partially out of the corner of your eye while you're interacting with your friends on something else... This is exactly what they're going well, we know for. That, right? we, is, we know that the young audience watches about 10 minutes of video. Yeah, it's yeah. it's we talk about Fortnite a lot on this show, but but the, one of the things Fortnite has done so well is that for a lot of people it's not a video game first, right? It's a it's a platform to hang out and interact with your friends. It's a social, it's a social platform. I think Adam Silver looks at that and says, hey, maybe we can do that in some way. And the way to do that is to create a stream that is more fan-friendly. It has some kind of democracy built into it. It's not commanding all your attention because you can't even hear the announcers. You're only seeing a part of the action. This is is, is a side piece to, to, to build an entire kind of social ecosystem around. Well, by cracky old man bar. <laughs> Making an appearance again. When, when you you said By that cracking. there were not going to be any announcers. Anybody remember the NFL did they this? Tried the silent many game many years. What was the Jets the, game? Yeah, the, the, uh, the other old guy remembers. Yeah, yeah see, it, it yeah. was, and it was a meaningless game. So they tried this experiment, and it, it, people really found out. You know what? I like the announcers. Well, as with <laughs> anything, every time we move desks here at, at Bloomberg, we're relocated. I'm upset for about a week. And then I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, I, I, I acclimate very quickly. Yes, I can do that. So I think that was sort of the same thing. It was a big shock to the system. Yeah. But nowadays, with the coach stream and the others, again, goodbye broadcasting. Hello, narrowcasting. You're going to have so many options to pick not only which announcers you want, but what they're going to stress. You want them to talk about the strategy of the game? You go to the coach's one. You want to talk about the betting implications? You'll go to that one. You want to talk about the halftime show? You'll go to that one. So you'll have the option to really drill down. Back in the day, we were talking about, I mean, you had the two guys in the booth and that was it. There were no sideline reporters. It's like yeah. you had to listen to, dare I say, uh, Merlin Olson, Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson, live from Denver. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my. That, that'll bring you back, right? Yeah, that'll bring you. Oh, my. John Elway. Right. Or Craig, Craig Morton, probably. But yeah, I mean, you didn't really have the options now. You're not going to go you, – you, you can pick exactly what you want to listen to. And finally, this guy's making news. Just waking up in the morning, got to thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. Rapper Ice Cube is seeking additional financing to make a push to buy the 22-21st Century Fox Regional Sports Networks. Fox News reported that in a tweet. Additional – Backers is doing a lot of work in that in that sentence there. Wait, wait, that's not Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Mandy. No, this this isn't uh, this is not Mandy. No, no. Well, we we uh, have talked about the Fox sale, the RSNs. This is a whether sixteen to twenty billion dollar transaction. Ice Cube, uh, the news that Ice Cube was bidding. I mean, he said that a while ago. Yeah, a Rolling Stone piece. I yeah, think, this December. is not yeah. like that is not the new part. I the fact I heard about. It. Yeah, the fact that he's like approaching others for backing. You don't say. Ice Cube doesn't have. If he wants to be involved, he doesn't have the 15 billion needed. He doesn't have the big media platform. <laughs>
platform that everybody's looking to partner with. Ice Cube doesn't Whether have one Whether it's Viacom or Sinclair, which, by the way, if it's going to go as a whole, keep an eye on Sinclair. I'm hearing that this thing's going piecemeal. That this is going to be, you want the Southeast one, you go to Liberty, Comcast in the Midwest. Everybody's got a reason to part and parcel this. That is where this is headed right now. The Yankees buying back Yes Network. We know they're already looking to partner with Mubadala, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of the UAE. Uh, Redbird Capital's there. They're eyeing something with Amazon. What component can they play? So you take you take the Yes Network out, you're taking $6 billion about out of it. Let's see who's around for the rest. Well, for Ice Cube, today was a good day. He's going to need a few more cubes. Now let's get to this week's interview with NFL Chief Media and Business Officer Brian Rolap. Brian, thank you very much for coming in studio. Thanks for having me. I have a bone to pick with you already. We're going to start with bones. Okay, we'll start with bones. You had to have a deal with Fortnite, didn't you? We did. We're excited. Why is that a a bone? Because my nine-year-old found out about it, and you're costing me serious money. Hey, hey, hey. It brought... My son and me together, man. He wanted the Detroit Lions one, and he got it. <laughs> he bought Detroit up already. See, there you go. Record time. <laughs> so, yeah. But a no-brainer yeah. to bring a brand, the NFL brand, together with Fortnite completes the mission of one: you generate bucks, and two: you reach a different audience. Yeah, I, I, I think you're 100 percent right. I think for for us, it wasn't really about the money anyway. It was about in this day and age engaging youth engaging a youth demographic in this media environment is really, really difficult. And there are a few things that we had seen that had done that like Fortnite. I mean, the numbers were just extraordinary. And, um, you know, they came to us with the idea and we loved it. Uh, we thought it was a we thought it was a great idea, and it instantly got me credibility with my eleven year old. I did not have before yep. that deal. Yep. You're cool. You're cool. <laughs> I'm Dad. Cool, but uh, but no, it was it was a fun thing to do, and uh, I think the Fortnite guys loved it. I think the fans loved it. Um, you started seeing a lot of the stuff show up on social, and it's just sort of increased excitement, engagement. It was great. You know what the fishing boat captains say? No, what do they say? Go to where the fish are. Oh, there you go. Fish where the fish are. Yeah, that's what you're doing. You found them where they are. I thought they said get, I need a bigger boat. They say that too. I guess. Yeah, right? we're going to need a bigger okay, boat. Right. How different is it from how you know your your older audience, your older demographics interact with NFL than your your millennials and your your Gen Z or whatever they're going by these days? In general, I, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's a lot different. Um, you know, the older people will you will see, and, and really not that old, by the way. Uh, you know, thirty five and older maybe. They tend to consume. This is non-game content for me. They tend to consume a lot of NFL the way I think everyone in this room did a lot of Sports Center, a lot of NFL Network, a lot of television. I want to see where it is. Most of the younger people we see a ton of engagement on mobile devices, specifically social. And so, if you see a lot of our content distribution on Instagram or Twitter, certainly during game windows and outside of the game windows, that's where they're getting their news. That's where they're getting a lot of their highlights. Um, it's not the prepackaged highlight as much as you will see on a linear television show. Uh, so they are engaging completely different. And they're not only doing that outside of the game, but we have a lot of data that says seven out of every 10 fans have a second screen open when they're watching a game. And they're doing a lot of different things. I mean, they're, they're texting, they're tweeting, they're probably playing Fortnite, but they but but that's kind of where the attention is. Uh, and so Should you that see make advertisers of, nervous? Are they paying attention to the ads? Uh, it's a good question. It's a really, really good question. You know, Nielsen will tell you in NFL football, I think it's something like a 98% retention on an ad, which means they're not flipping the channel. 
but they're not really measuring the people on the couch if they got their nose in the screen or if it's in or the nose in their TV screen or the TV screen or they're watching their phone. So it's a really, really good question. You will see what we've done in a lot of our telecasts that have been very, very successful have been these double box executions. So all of our broadcast partners are doing it. Started a little uh, quietly last year, but you see a lot of them now where we will go to a, to a break for 30 seconds and they will keep. On one side of the screen, you'll see the game, whatever it's going on. It's a huddle. Or they're looking at their Surface tablets on the sideline, whatever it is. And then there's another 30-second ad alongside it. What we are finding out is that's actually increasing the attention on the ad. You know, the initial thought was if you put it up there, they're just going to look what's going over here. They're actually looking at the ad. And so we know we have – we've done research where we actually track people's eyes and figure out what they're doing in, in these labs. <clears throat> and that's worked really, really well. So I think you will see – with us, but also I think in sports and TV general, you'll see a lot of experimentation with those different types of ad units. Is Great it? sponsor mentioned, by the way. Did you see the way he just worked in? <laughs> time? It was that. like smooth. <laughs> was, that, was that an unintentional segue to something? Or no, no, no. Okay. no. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get there, but uh, the way you did it, if mm. we had an award, it goes to Brian Thank you. this week. The gang's about to slam me again because that's a lesson about the side-by-side. Racing did that for many years. Yes, oh, yes. NASCAR. Here we go. Uh, yeah. see, <laughs> there start. we go. <laughs> but, I want to know what happened to Talladega. It's Talladega in 62. Here it comes. <laughs> see, first of all, there was no Talladega in 62. There we go. There you go. Right. Anyway. Watkins <laughs> Glen, whatever. <laughs> but that idea is, it seems like not only the NFL, but other sports are following that as well. Yeah, I, it's not a new concept. Like, I don't want to give the impression the NFL invented it. It, it was using golf a lot, too. Right. Um, but it had never never been in the in the NFL um, and I think you see I think you see a lot of our broadcast partners experience with other ad units too a Fox did I don't know if you noticed but this year Fox did six second ads um, they did it I think around Thanksgiving I can't remember why six second ads well that's actually a standard unit on uh, YouTube and some other things where you're seeing those really short units and that's what people are being conditioned to but you know the reality is we live in a world where Netflix has no commercials and and there's six second commercials on YouTube. It's just a different, different world. And you're going to see that. And I think you're seeing that evolve significantly. All geezers like me, I'm starting to feel now like the whole thing is passing me by. I mean, we used to get out the old rabbit ears and yeah. put the tinfoil on top of it. And that's how you followed everything. And I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm being passed by now. Well, I, I'm curious, actually, when, when you talk about the the way that younger people consume content differently, right? Instead of maybe watching it on SportsCenter or on a linear TV broadcast, they're consuming it on Twitter or Facebook. You're looking at the bottom line. How much harder or is it harder to monetize your 15 to 18-year-old NFL fans versus your 40 to 50-year-old NFL fans? Well, I think I, – I sort of believe there's a fundamental rule in the media business where – the monetization always follows the consumption, right? It always sort of lags a bit. And how big is that lag? Though? It depends. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But but I think it it. I guess I bring that up to say, we focused first and foremost on consumption. We have always been a sport. This is, this is back to Pete Rosell. We've always been a sport that's been based on reach. We we want to be on the platform that reaches as many people for as long as we can. And that has traditionally been broadcast television. And we're still the only sport who has every single game on broadcast television, including the games on ESPN and NFL Network. They'll still be on broadcast television in the local market. And so, for, you know, we tried to get the NFL Network distributed for a decade. And it would have been very easy to accelerate that distribution if we would have not put our games over the air in the local market to play the leverage game with the cable operators. But our view was we want reach. So 
reach still matters. It's just more complicated in this day and age because you have digital. People are watching television less. They're not having as much cable. So, um, so we're, we're really focused on reach and experimentation. We have the belief that as far as the money, the monetization, which is where I spend a lot of my time, that will come as long as you maintain and grow the audience. John and, Skipper always used to say, just give me eyeballs. I'll figure yeah. out how to make money. Just give right. me the eyeballs. And, and in this world where you know, we had 20 to 30 million people watching these games last weekend in the wild card weekend, there's nothing left in media that will aggregate that many people at one time. And that's, that's valuable. Um, from a business standpoint. So I, that's really what our media strategy, quite frankly, is, 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 is focused on. True or false, Jeff Bezos personally handled much of the negotiation with the NFL. I heard he was in, quite involved. Uh, I mean, there were conversations. Um, uh, it was, um, I didn't have him personally. I think Roger spoke with him a few times. Um, Robert Kraft, who's the chairman of our broadcast committee, talked to him a few times. So he, 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 I know those conversations happened. Um, he's got a really great smart team that that also did a lot of the work um but um that partnership's been great it's been really really interesting we are chatting with brian Rolap, the nfl's chief media and business officer brian seems like we've had a quick narrative shift it was headwinds headwinds ratings down protests if there was a hump i mean are, are we over it are, are we past it? it they're just an ephemeral blip yeah, look, it seems like the NFL is the place to be. I, I, I think so. And I look and, and whatever metric you want to do, there, there is an obsession on the ratings and the viewership. I mean, that became a huge story last year. And quite frankly, the press and the public fixated more on that metric than we ever do. And, you know, last year we talked a lot about how, you know, ratings for the NFL over time, they sort of head in the right direction, but they're, they're, they're often up and down week to week, year to year. I read, a, I read a Sports Illustrated article from 1983 where, I think it was 83, I can't remember, where they were killing Pete Rozelle on the ratings. And Pete Rozelle said things like, well, look, um, a lot of our star players aren't on the field. You know, the margin of victory of each contest is higher than it was a year before. Um, you know, some of our big markets aren't performing. And, um, you know, that and sure enough, the next year it came up. That's exactly what we were saying last year. You know, things things haven't really changed that much. How competitive is the football? Are the stars playing? Do the big market teams perform as far as viewership and ratings? Because when that happens, more people watch. And um, that's what you're seeing this year. And it's not a surprise we're up 5% because all those things are actually, you know, trending in the right direction. So I think ratings and viewership is an important metric we pay attention to, but there's a lot of different things that denote the health of our business and our league, in my opinion. So let's talk about the other ones. I mean, yeah. From a sponsorship standpoint, from a licensing standpoint, from a ticket sales standpoint, from, from the other kind of big revenue streams that the NFL has, how are those doing in, in 2019 versus previous years? They're doing well. I mean, everything is up, um, but uh, the structure of those businesses are all changing. Um, and, and we work really hard to change with it. I'm, you know, there's probably, other than media, there's probably not many other revenue streams in sports that have changed significantly like tickets, where technology in these secondary markets, whether it's StubHub or Ticketmaster or whatever it happens to do, is changing how tickets are distributed and people are buying it. And no longer do you have to line up at the box office in August and hope you get a season ticket. You can wait up until... 10, 15 minutes before said concert, sporting event, or whatever it is, and have transparent pricing and get it right to your phone. And that that's changing the dynamics of a ticketing market uh, that everyone who's in the event business is facing. Um, but we're happy. I mean, you know, I think we were, I think, 98% sold out, I think, for the most part, across the league last year. 
um, but but it's much different. And you see the partnerships we do with Ticketmaster, with uh, StubHub, and others has changed that. I think sponsorships the same thing. We're way beyond the times where partners, you know, want to associate with a league and just give me your mark and logo, and I can run a thirty-second commercial on television, and that's great. Uh, they are much more about digital. They are much more, much more about activation on the ground. You see that what we do with draft, where we have 250,000, 300,000 people come through a draft, and there's, they can interact with our sponsors. Do you help them measure ROI, or do they have their own metrics? They, they're all different. I mean, they're all different. And, and, and what we always say to them is, whatever your metrics are, are our metrics. So how do we get on the same page? Uh, but, you know, you're going to have um, Anheuser-Busch have different metrics and success than maybe Visa or, or Bose or Amazon Web Services, who's a, who's, a, who's a sponsor of ours. So they're all different things. I think there's, there's some commonality. The commonality is uh, that when they associate with the NFL brand, um, they get more brand awareness and they actually speak to our 180 million fans and there's a higher propensity to buy that product when they associate with the NFL. Now we've got big time sports gambling. I mean, it's been huge in the news and now it the league it, is it embracing it more? Yeah, I, look, I think it's a it's it's a, it's the new reality. It's the world we live in. I mean, um, there's no you can choose to embrace it or not to embrace it. It's here. Um, I think our we've been consistent on uh, sports betting that us uh, first and foremost, it's an integrity issue. Uh, we want to make sure that as sports betting grows legally or illegally that we protect the integrity of the game. That has always been the issue. Uh, that's a risk a sports league takes on. That is not a risk a casino worries about. That is not a that is not a risk that the better worries about. We have to worry about it because if the, any fan believes that what's going on on a field or a court or the ice is not legitimate uh, uh, sports competition, then you don't have you don't have a sport. You don't have a business. So that for us um, has been our focus. We've been spending a lot of time on integrity training. Um, with with our league officials, with our refs, with our players, all of that to make sure as this world changes that you, everybody knows the rules. We've also been focused on consumer protection um, because you know gambling is, if done inappropriately, like anything, it can 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 be harmful if not done with restraint. And so we're focusing a lot on that. Um, but we know the new reality here is it's only in a handful of states. We think it's going to take a, a little bit of time to get to real big scale where it's going to. Um, change significantly, but we're we're active in it, and, and I think you'll see us be more and more active in it. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The AGA and, and Nielsen put out some numbers a couple months ago estimating that the NFL was due to see, I think it was $2.3 billion uh, in revenue boost from gambling uh, once a number of states kind of get online, say, a couple of years from now. Um, and that's a mix of spending by operators like MGM and DraftKings and also kind of the, the increased fan interest uh, in, in specific games. Uh, is that a number, $2.3 billion, that, that is roughly in line with kind of what you guys are seeing? Do you think I it's more? Is it less? If it's $2.3 billion out there, I haven't seen it yet. But I, I, I don't – I think it's a high number. But I, And I, I, I'm not sure what the number will be. I do think um, – I do think it has to – get to some measure of scale. Sure. Uh, I think the legislation has to get right. Um, I think um, the experiences that are being created in sports betting have to be good. I don't think this this the iteration of sports betting, for it to migrate from illegal to legal and then to grow, it's not going to be the guy getting on a bus going over to you know, New Jersey to lay off a hundred bucks on the Giants minus three. Never get on a bus or a train no, in New Jersey. Jersey. Just talked about that. Wait, that's right. That's right. It's a good point. That's a good point. That's a bad bet. Um, uh, but I, I think it's going to be interactive, mobile-based, prop betting. That's the stuff that you see successful in Europe and other places. And so a lot has to happen for that to get at scale. That's something I haven't seen about prop betting. And you mentioned about the draft. I wonder if we're going to see that more coming up in the draft is like, hey, who is this team going to pick or whatever? Yeah, I think you might. I mean, I think, look, I think I think all the sports leagues will derive most of their value from the increase in engagement around their sport. So it's a little bit like fantasy, where fantasy is a decent-sized business. It's not a huge business. But what fantasy does is it it, it makes you watch that extra game on a weekend. It makes you more interesting in week 16 or week 15 of the NFL season, even if some of the teams you're watching are out of playoff contention. The so joke that, in the office was always makes you watch the Cleveland Browns in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, it's not pertinent Cleveland so much Browns, now. I'm saying it doesn't really, we have to pick somebody else, Cleveland Browns but made people the playoffs, stick around longer. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's where you will see, I think, most of the benefits for sports leagues. Brian, you said my favorite word, I bring it up on the, on the show all the time, is scale. Yeah. If you owned a team, how many seats would you have in your stadium? Uh, great question. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I would probably say fewer than I would have had 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I just think anyone in this business needs to create an amazing experience for people to come and spend their money and spend their time. And um, I think if I had a dollar to spend on an extra seat versus a dollar to spend on making the seats I have better and more interesting and a better experience, that's where I'm going to put my dollar. Who's doing it well? The Vegas Golden Knights got a lot of attention during their playoff run for making that in-arena experience, and this is something in Vegas, a unique proposition. People wanted to go and partake. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've been all around, lots of stadiums, lots of sports. 
I'm not sure there are others who are doing it really well. Who do you think is doing it well, and what are they lacking? Well, it depends. Like you certainly see it in new stadium construction, where we are creating stadiums that have elements that have never been contemplated or thought before. Um, you see what's been done in Dallas and in other places, but it's also, you know, it's not just about is there good music happening? Is there just about can they see highlights from other games while it's on the jumbotron? It's also about how's your how's your traffic. How's your how's yeah, your ingress egress is huge. Ingress egress bathroom. is huge. How do you account for Uber? Where's that where's that happening? What's the line of the bathroom? Are the concessions fairly priced? I will tell you you see a lot what they've done in Atlanta. The Falcons are very proud of what they've done on concessions. Um, and to make those more reasonably priced and it's actually helped their revenue go up. Um, so I think it's 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 the obvious stuff about is the seat comfortable, is the ingress egress out, is those things, but it's all it, but but it's it's the totality of the experience that really really matters because the reality is these games are going to be better and better accessible on media. They're going to be higher quality. They're going to be more accessible. They're going to, you know, and, and so the stadium needs to continue to invest to make sure that is still the best place to watch NFL football. So what are we talking about scale in media in that flat world? How are we getting the NFL product all around the world and the eyeballs we are talking about? Uh, and how close are we to placing a team outside of the borders? I mean, we're hearing now three years in London. I mean, I, this, I don't know if this is pie in sky or is that a reality? What, what's the rollout plan for team elsewhere as well as then scale the media around the world? We have much more of a multinational strategy than an international strategy. I mean, we focus on some really key markets. And if you've seen, if you've been to one of our games in London, um, and we're playing up to four given on the year, uh, it is not the circus coming to town. It is it is a real fan base coming from all over Europe to come see football. And there's no doubt in my mind that London could support uh, uh, an NFL franchise. Um, when that happens, and if that happens, I don't know. Um, but I think for us to focus on a few territories um, uh, is important. I think you've seen uh, in Mexico, which is a huge has a huge NFL fan base. Um, and we've made an increased commitment there. Um, so I think, I think over time, um, you'll see more and more investment. And I, 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 I don't know what the timing is, but I would never roll out a franchise in any of those markets. I've been to two games in London, uh, and my one of my He's big takeaways. Fan, by the way. <laughs> wow, just two then, huh? Yeah, just two. <laughs> uh, one of my big takeaways was that the the production of those games seems to be so much bigger outside of the game itself than any game I've been to here in the states. Right? There's fan. It feels like a Super Bowl. There's fan festivals. There's blow up. There's bouncy rides. There's food all over. There's concerts. There's veterans of all the teams that are giving talks to fans, etc. When there is an NFL team in London, if there is an NFL team in London, is that the kind of thing that that, that, that your owner is going to have to keep doing in London? Or can you kind of revert back to the just really the game experience that we're getting here? Well, I mean, I think you see all sports teams doing more and more of that. It gets back to the previous conversation about you're creating an experience around the game and you're investing in what's around um, the game more than more than ever. At some point, the, look, the London has to sustain itself as a standalone you know, city and market, and I think it's well on its way to that. But I, I think any club that's trying to engage their fans hours before the game, hours after the game and leading up is really important. I mean, tailgating started and, and continues with football. That is still a ritual that is really, really important uh, to, to most football. So how do you actually take that to the next level and, and touch your fan? I think that's really important. Taking a step back for a second, Roger Goodell, commissioner, has, has a stated goal of reaching $25 billion in revenue by 2027. 
eight years away now. The NFL is roughly at, at fifteen billion now. How do we get to to, to twenty five? What's the path to get there? Well, I think. Again, this is kind of like ratings. A lot of people in the media like to talk about that number more than we talk about that number internally, quite frankly. Um, I think it was more aspirational in, in others. But, I, but I, 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 look, I think the revenue um, will continue to come from the revenue streams you see now, the businesses you see now. They'll just be done differently. So I think media will drive the way. I think our media packages are becoming more valuable, not less, in a fractured media environment. You've seen that. Uh, and you've seen that by the last handful of deals we've done. Um, uh, I think sponsorship is that media and that reach continues and that and we're able to aggregate those audience. Sponsorship will go up along with it, um, which I think is important. I think stadium innovation and construction is still really important. That's always been a key revenue driver to the league, and I think that will continue. So I think you'll see more and more investments in stadiums. Um, and I think international is going to be a key part of that, um, new markets. I want to talk about when teams move and – and maybe some of the fans need to get off their rumps and cheer on it. it you, Los Angeles, they have two teams in round two. Mm-hmm. And the Charger fans are like, eh, okay. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. It's I'm, I'm an old Detroit Lions fan. And we we take one team, you know, <laughs> just to get to stage two of the playoffs. And one day one day you'll have one team. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that out loud? Yeah, you, you thought that. But, <laughs> but why? Why is it that uh, you know what what can be done? I guess to generate uh, more fan base when teams move all over. The place? Well, I mean, look, when a uh, relocating team is always a difficult thing, and um, uh, you know it's always a hard thing, uh, both on you know the city that loses a team, which no one ever wants to see, but also there's a lot of investment at work that goes into a new market. Um, I actually think the Chargers and the Rams have been a really amazing story. Uh, Ratings for those, viewership for those clubs um, in that market is way up this year, um, uh, double digits. Uh, and uh, they've only been there, was it, were we on our third season? I can't remember. We're, we're early in this. Um, and they're in transition. They're playing in stadiums that aren't their own. And they are building what I think is the preeminent sports facility in the world. Uh, when you add into what that stadium is going to be, what's going to be around it, and what it's actually going to do for the city of Inglewood. I think we are very early in a first chapter of a multi-chapter story for both those franchises, and the progress they've made to date has been pretty remarkable. The market is big enough for two teams. It's a gigantic market. It's, you know, New York supports two teams just fine. Um, Los Angeles will too, as well. Uh, and it, it just takes some time and investment, but they're well on their way. And it also helps that they're playing some of the best football in the NFL right now. It's it's hard not to. I mean, look, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll have two. We'll have an NFC and AFC championship game in the in the same city in a couple. Who knows? That that could happen. Um, uh, so I I, I think um, Los Angeles is is playing out well and is going to be a, a pretty good success story. We're chatting with Brian Roll up just a couple minutes to go. I was chatting with Eric Shanks, the CEO of mm-hmm. Fox Sports, not long ago, and I said, what's top of mind? I'd just like to know what, what's top of mind. And he said, without prompting, he said, Scott, if I had just signed a 20-year <laughs> renewal deal with the NFL, and I don't know if it got back to you, I'd be worried about well, how am I re-upping the NFL in 21 years. Yeah. I mean, that's a powerful statement from a partner. Yeah. A good spot for you to be in. But I looked ahead then to 2021-22 when your broadcast deals are up, and I said, so what leverage do you have? In essence, you just told the NFL, we got to have you. And you're not the only one. How do you see 2021-22 shaping up 
whether you've got the fangs involved, whether you've got the linears, you've got a lot of options. But I, mean, I don't think we're ready for full-scale big events online yet. At least the technology has shown that. How do you see it shaping up? Well, the, the, the short answer is I don't know yet. Um, I think we'll know when we get there. And it's interesting when you have so much change in the media landscape, not only how people are consuming things, but these new players, as you mentioned, the Fang guys, and how you know their business models are changing. There's a perfect example where that consumption's there, but their business model still... It's, 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 it's hard to think of those people early in their business cycle, but they are adding, you know, Amazon is adding revenue streams every year that you didn't think of before. And so it's, it, they're, they're in a change. The management of all these companies are changing. So there's a lot of change um, going on. So, so the short answer is I don't know, but I do think what you will see is we will hold to that tenet that I talked about earlier in this conversation, which is reach. reach. We're not really interested in trading reach off um, for a few bucks more. That's not, that's not what we're in this for. And, you know, Thursday night football is a great example where we could have kept that package on our network and continue to drive it, but we wanted broadcast television to make it bigger. It's now the number two primetime show on television. Number one is Sunday night football. Um, I think you saw it in how we use digital where, um, we distribute that also on Amazon. So you have something for people who have te television and people who don't. But that's all about reach. And in, quite frankly, in the New Orleans-Dallas Thursday night game, we had over a million people on Amazon watching it, which would have won the night on cable that night, just watching it online. Um, uh, so I think, I think uh, for us, you'll see reach is going to be and consumption is going to be a really important part of that equation. Let me end on this then. So what does all that said, what does that do to franchise values? And we were joking earlier about how many people can buy things mm -hmm. and, and you've sort of changed the rules a little bit to make it a little easier for people to, to buy. But is there a cap, an artificial cap on franchise values or will the continued revenue force them higher? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a cap, artificial otherwise, but I think it's like any business at the end of the day, um, are your customers growing and or are they coming to your said business more frequently and is your revenue going up? I mean, that's kind of how we measure our business, quite simply. I also think, as you mentioned, this is just in the NFL, but it's also for all sports franchises, there's a scarcity value to these things. There are only so many of them and they're pretty, you know, so there's a scarcity value and these things are pretty special. In a world where we continue to be defined by our differences and we continue to be fractured, there's very few things that on a weekend in January, you're gonna get 30 million people to sit down and do something together. And there's very few things we can go into a stadium or an arena with 25 to 85, 95,000 other people and have a common experience where you guys are united regardless of socioeconomic or ethnic or racial, whatever it happens to be. There, there are just fewer things in the world that do that. Sports is among the only things left. Uh, which headwind then concerns you most, if there is one? Um, I, look, I, we have a saying, and we said it before, it's true, only the paranoid survive. I mean, we're healthily paranoid about all this stuff. I don't think we take any level of success for granted. I think continue navigating in a smart way through the media landscape is something that's really, really important to do. Um, I worry about the economy in this country. 
um, you know, what are we looking at as far as recession in the next handful of years? I think all sports at some shape or form are based on a discretionary spend, whether it's you buying a ticket or somebody's marketing budget. Everyone used to tell me sports is recession proof. Uh, I don't think anybody's recession proof. I think there's a level of recession uh, resistance, and I think sports does better than, than anybody. That's another reason why I think the franchise values are what they are. Um, but I, I, think, I, think that's a, I think that's a headwind. Um, uh, and so I actually think um, making sure we keep sports in front of youth in this country is really, really important. Um, you've seen youth participation, and again, you don't have to play a sport to be a fan of it, but, but just sports in general, you've seen youth participation decline in this country. And that has a lot to do with, um, there's alternatives, um, but also has a lot to do with specialization, where you see kids playing one sport 12 months a year, um, which I don't think is great for a kid's development, but also sports is a really important thing to our communities and an important part of, our, of these kids' education. And I think we want to make sure that youth participation keeps going up. I think for all, everyone in sports, I think keeping that high is important. All right, that's Brian Rolap, the NFL's Chief Media and Business Officer. Brian, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm getting that sense now that the NFL is embracing sports gambling even more so than what they used to. Getting that sense, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah getting that yeah. sense. Getting that sense. I'm getting that sense that they ignore a lot of the stuff we hear every day. <laughs> Edwin <laughs> here, this there, this problem, rating down when he said, you know, we don't really focus on it as on a micro level as much as the media, as much as you hear about it. I believe that to be true. I know they're sensitive to it, but I don't think they focus on it. They have a wonderful property that draws more eyeballs than anything else, and that, as Mr. Rolap said, is valuable. And along those lines, think about the league in Los Angeles, you know, year three. Uh, there have been some not-so-great metrics you can point to about, about whether this has been a success so far. Both the Rams and the Chargers, despite having great teams, are, are struggling a little bit from an attendance standpoint. Uh, he also seemed cool as a cucumber about that. He's obviously incredibly uh, has a lot of faith in the in the new arena or new stadium when it comes out, the one that Stan Kroenke's building. Wait till Kroenke um, land is built, exactly. exactly. And he seems certainly confident that that in the end, long term, the NFL moving two franchises to LA at the same time is going to end up being a positive. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Here it is, gentlemen. Answer, Daryl Waltrip. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not Daryl Waltrip. No, but that's good. Thank you. 200,000. 200,000, the number of losses in the Pistons franchise. Number of rooms on Jerry Jones's new yacht. <laughs> we know where to hit you, buddy. We know where to hit you. Oh, man. 200,000. You know, any idea? 200,000? So no, no, Is no, it $200,000 or $200,000? <laughs> See, now if I add the word dollars. Oh, God almighty. That helps. You have to. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> if, if, if I tell you all the information, you might get it. But I, no, we don't know. Not sure. That is the amount of money that New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton oh, I read about this. brought in into uh, yeah, the yeah, players' yeah. meeting yeah. and the Vince Lombardi trophy and a Super Bowl ring. And he did this because he wanted to motivate his younger players. The $200,000 is what they get if they win this Sunday's matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. Or I should say preparing for that. 
put it that way. Every, I, I love this idea. I think it's great for motivation. Uh, it reminds me of the World Series of Poker, the final table, when it's just the two head-to-head. They bring the million dollars of cash there. on. Oh, yeah. Every sport should put the trophy and the money players are going to get on the field next to them at championship events. The Stanley Cup should be in the penalty bo- between the penalty boxes for every single game of the Stanley Stuff Cup finals. Stuff money. Yes. Okay. And I should add, by the way, that $200,000 is what they'll get if they go all the way in the playoffs. That's each what per, they, they get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. We can divvy it up between us. We'll be all right. Michael, yeah. I'm holding the money that you're going to get at the end of this podcast. <laughs> so, Take a look at me. Here, here are the coins. <laughs> the I've been getting creative there. <laughs> You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we are here each and every week for you at the same time for free. Plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Mike Labar on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks very much for joining us. And please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.